This is Short-Term Rental Management, the show that is all about short-term rental property management with your host, yours truly, Luke Carl. Here we are. What do you know? What do you say? How do you do? Uh, Cashflow Carl, the shaman of short-term, the reverend of real estate. It is a great day for a great day. Fantastic to be here with you on short-term rental management. Have a big show today. Mr. Bill Faith from uh, STR Nation. Uh, you've got two gentlemen on this podcast that really like to talk. So it uh, should be a good time. I'm going to do my best to let him be the wonderful guest that he is and let him do the talking. But I think we're going to go um, a whole bunch of different directions on today's show and learn a lot uh, in the world of short-term rental. And uh, I will introduce Mr. Bill here in just a few moments after this week's sponsor. Management Monday is proud to present this episode of The Short-Term Show. Management Monday is a weekly course that will teach you everything you need to know about managing a short-term rental from a distance. How to get more bookings, hire ADR, how to hire and fire vendors. Even if you don't want to manage it yourself, you need this course so you know how to manage your manager. Over 10,000 super hosts started their career with Management Monday. And the best part is, it's free for short-term shop clients. Start your journey today at theshorttermshop.com. Theshorttermshop.com. And here we are. Here we are, short-term rental management uh, with the man, the, uh, the, the myth, the legend, the professional golfer, the short-term rental badass himself, Bill Faith. How you doing, buddy? That's the best fucking introduction I've ever had in my life, Luke. <laughs> You should probably do that for a living. Well, well, yeah, uh, yeah, did for many years and still do in a lot of ways. You know, but the big the, the thing for me is the golf thing is huge in my family. You already know that. Uh, massive amount of respect uh, for for golf in general. But my my Avery's dad was a pro golfer, and uh, and you know it it just is, comes up on a daily basis. It's a huge deal in his family. Her brother was also a fairly accomplished uh, golfer in college and. Um, and so that, that's fascinating. I mean, the, to be a professional, uh, uh, athlete of any kind is, is a huge accomplishment. I mean, it just says a lot about the kind of guy you are for one thing. You know, it's really, it's, it's interesting. So I had no idea about that, uh, with Avery and her father. And the other ironic thing is my oldest daughter, I was just sharing with you. I get to take her to her first GNR concert here in a couple of weeks here in Nashville. She was a goalkeeper. And I was going through the recruiting process and she went to her first ID camp at Bellhaven University, right? Where Avery grew up, obviously. So all these things that kind of intertwine in life is really small. And my daughter decided in the recruiting process that she was not going to play college soccer. She just wanted to go to Belmont for education. Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Avery, uh, she, she doesn't talk about it, but she, she got recruited by 54 uh, different universities um, as much, much, uh, scholarship as you can get for, a uh, a female soccer player. Um, and, uh, and did win a big 12 championship, uh, her freshman year, um, at the age of 17, she graduated high school a year early to go to college to play soccer. And yeah, so she's very accomplished in, in as an athlete herself and it, come, it runs in her family. And quite frankly, I get annoyed with it because there's so many overachievers in her family. 
I'm like, how am I supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't, I, I can't, I got to try so hard every day just to pull my weight, you know, but uh, it's, it's good to surround yourself with people that are crushing it, I suppose. Well, someday I want to be invited down to the hunting farm or whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I got to meet Avery's dad because I promise you, I, I'm, I'm younger than him. I'm 50. But I dropped out of UCLA early, so like literally early 90s. Him and I were playing on like the Hogan tour and that yeah. type of stuff at the exact same time. I'll bet we, I know we have mutual friends and we probably even met each other, you know, when we were out there at some point, which is pretty, pretty funny. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Hogan tour. Yeah, he's uh, he's the nicest guy on the planet. Um, he really is. He's impossible not to know. If you've been in a room with him, you know him. He's one of those guys and and everybody loves him. And he's still, uh, you know, he's 60 something. Uh, and I just golfed with him a couple of weeks ago. I didn't golf. I mean, I can't, I, I it's just one of those things that I, I just, you know, it's so hard. I almost just don't even want to, I'm, I'm so bad at it. It's like, I just don't even want to bother, but I drove the cart, you know, and it was, it was, uh, we had like four guys out there and, and he still crushes it, man. I mean, he, I, I don't know anything about it, but, uh, watching him makes me want to try even less because it's like, I mean, I mean, how am I supposed to compete with this? You know? So, Right. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You come to hunting anytime, man. We, we'd love to have you. Um, so, so what do we talk about today? We have no, we have no agenda, which is awesome. I love that. Uh, and, uh, and I, I guess, uh, first and foremost, uh, what are you seeing, uh, as far as changes in the industry? We had a lot of people get in over the last two years and now there's a lot of chatter out there and uh, just give me your thoughts on current affairs. I mean, I'll, I'll share you, I'll, I'll share with you kind of a personal story I'm going through myself right now. I have my first condo, I've never bought a condo before. I've been a, a big, you know, single family home purchaser. Um, I've done multifamily in the past, but like, you know, in my short term space, I really focused on high end single family homes. And I found this diamond in the rough in Montana, right at the entrance of, of Glacier uh, National Park. And it's a brand new build, family built it. It's like a super luxury, two bedroom, two bath. There's four that were for sale for nine fifty. There's no comps. I can't get a commercial loan. I'm I'm in pretty decent shape. I've made a dollar or two. You know, I, I can qualify. Um, I cannot get a commercial loan. I've been through six banks for commercial loans, local, national, and I am relegated to having to do a traditional second home, like an occupied second home, a non-investment property to be able to even qualify because the comps, when you use the word investment loan or investment for these people, do not support because it's so new. And this, this market segment of property doesn't exist in the three closest markets. So they're not able to get appraisals or comps on this property. So the lending, and it's not just this, I, I'm personally going through that. And I want to share that because I think a lot of people think, oh, Bill can just do whatever he wants. Avery and Luke can buy whatever they want. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how much money you have sometimes. It doesn't matter what your DTI is. You know, sometimes a lot of times it's based on the property. And one of the things that I do is I like to build super properties, right? And finding those today is challenging, but even more challenging is the funding aspect for a lot of people. I could go DSCR. I'm not a fan. I don't want prepayment penalties. I don't want to pay an extra 2%. I don't want to pay points up front. So I've elected to go down the path of doing my second uh, traditional, you know, Fannie and Freddie. Okay, cool. And so why, I mean, why are they shooting you down? Just because uh, they're, they're, 
skittish on the asset or they're not familiar with it or what's the deal? Kind of both. I mean, so these, like, I'll, I'll kind of tell you the story. The the family that built these, so it's 4.2 miles to the entrance of West Glacier. It's 950 and how many bedrooms? Two bedrooms, two, two. two baths, uh, and a loft and a one-car garage. And nine, 950K. Yep, in okay. Corum, Montana. Corum. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So you got West Glacier, the entrance to West Glacier here. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Quorum. Hungry Horse, then you drive into Columbia Falls, then Whitefish. So it's like 25 minutes from Whitefish. So the only okay. comps to be able to pull 25 minutes away are from Whitefish. And the banks will not pull those comps. They also, they're pulling data from, there's nothing luxury. There's nothing high end in any of those. Nothing in West Glacier, nothing in Quorum, nothing in Hungry Horse. I've got mastermind members that own in all three markets. They're they're horrible. So I've got a mastermind member that bought a 3-2. Uh, in Hungry Horse, and he's doing $1,800 a night ADR during the summer, and he's cranking out $250,000, $260,000 a year on 150 to 160 day a year season. But the banks won't look at that. They look at the combination. They, they wouldn't even take air DNA data hmm. on the local banks that were there. The national banks don't want to touch it because it doesn't, you know, there's no appraisal in the market. It's only a half of a season. And they don't believe the projections that, uh, you know, I put together and the other three people that I helped buy the other three units that were available, that they could do that. So the the bank Whitefish Credit Union that I just spoke with yesterday, they they said, we our appraiser shows that this will do $30,000 a year. Mm. And I just wanted to say, do you think I'm not fucking stupid uh, yeah. to well, spend a million dollars on a property that's going to generate 30 grand? And what are you specking it at? Like, what do you what do you think it'll gross? Well, so AirDNA has it at 85,000. Uh, the existing owners, I have their rent roll, and you can even see it in the in the comp set when you go into Rentalizer and AirDNA at 105. I look at the historical data of my portfolio nationwide from the Gulf Coast to Montana. I'm outperforming AirDNA's 90th percentile right now by 61%. Yeah. So if I add 61% onto 105, you know, I'm pushing 165, 170. If I had 61% onto Air DNA's 85, I'm pushing 135 to 145. So what I do is I typically reduce that down to what we, my mastermind members call the mastermind markup. My mastermind members typically do about 30% above the 90th percentile um, as a whole because we track the data on a monthly basis. So I kind of do a good, better, best scenario. My good scenario was around 125, 130. My average should be 145 to 150, and then 165 to 180 would be premium. I fully believe I'm going to do 200K, hmm. probably 195 to 200 uh, in a 145-day season. So that means I've got to get about 1250 uh, ADR out of this property. 145. So that's uh, what's the math on that? That's less than half of the year. Yep. We'll probably be about 40, 45% occupancy max. Right at 45. So you only have to work less than half of the year for 200 grand gross uh, on a condo. So you don't even have any maintenance, really. It's all. And let's say, and it's brand new. It's nails, man. I mean, the construction, they own a lumber company. So they hand milled door casings, furniture. They hand milled their own stairs, their cabinets. It's, I've never seen a house under 5 million built this well. So the marketability that we get, and here's the deal with, you know, a lot of people, as you know, Luke, don't do deep research. Mm -hmm. 
So what I was able to find out is this property between there and the entrance to Glacier National Park, there is no residential zoning. So this is like the last new construction available with current zoning. Now, somebody could go and try to get, you know, a commercial rezoned into residential, but it's very challenging in that market. So there's a lot of protections uh, in place for the for these purchases that are going to be there. Even if I do 150, I'll be more than happy. Um, you know, I am also having to on the commercial, I even offered to put 30, 35 percent down. They still weren't interested. It was totally about the asset not by my qualifications by any means. So the only way that I'm going to qualify is one, either through DSCR, which I'm going to pass on, um, and two would be to traditional Fannie and Freddie. And it seems like this is probably, vacations are not unfamiliar in this vacation town you know, uh, uh, properties. It seems like probably what what's going on there. So uh, I, I don't understand why they're they're balking at it. It seems like it'd be right in their wheelhouse. I mean, they so the only comp you can pull from an appraisal side, well, that nothing there had been appraised. Now there is one, there's four units. One has already been appraised. It came in at 950. There will be two closings in the next seven days, both at full price 950. Mm -hmm. Okay. Outside of those closing and being recorded to where an appraiser can actually use them, they have to go all the way through Whitefish back up to the ski resort at Whitefish Mountain. They don't view it as the same market because they view this market being completely shut down essentially from mid-October uh, until the park reopens typically in May. Um, there's no question you can do some ancillary revenue. You could do midterm uh, out there, but there, there'll be some ancillary revenue for holidays and stuff like that out there. There's still other things that can be done. There's snowmobiling and a bunch of other outdoor activities during the winter, fishing still there, a lot of that stuff. Uh, but it's just, it's non-traditional. And I think that's one thing that's a challenge uh, is when you are try to stay ahead of the curve and you do things that are non-traditional, you don't fit in that box. A lot of people will just shut you down, but it's really the the asset value, the average two bedroom in, in Quorum, Montana, it's a very small place. So if you take Columbia Falls, Quorum uh, and Hungry Horse, the average two bedroom is transacting at around 400,000. So you're talking literally 55% below asking price. Do I have a view? Yeah, mountain views. Mountain views. Uh, is there skiing or is mostly national park or both? Four miles to the entrance of the Glacier National Park. No skiing. You're you're a good 45-minute drive to drive to uh, Whitefish Mountain to skiing. 45 minutes to Whitefish. That's not bad. That's not bad. We were in Whitefish last year. Uh, yeah, you remember, remember when you took your kids to go do the Clydesdale stuff? Yeah, yeah. We went because my, my other there. house there is about two miles straight out that highway. Okay, great. Um, so, so from where you were at at the Clydesdale stuff, it's forty-five minutes. Yeah, which from is, downtown Whitefish, it's thirty minutes, which is fine. I mean, Whitefish is worth a forty-five-minute drive. So, yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, and are you uh, you're going to use this thing? I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we probably won't as a family. We will 100% rent it. The only reason we would rent it is if we didn't have renters that were there and we were going hiking or doing something in the in the park because it's so hard to get tickets to get into. And this is another marketing component because we're less than a five-minute drive to get into the park at Glacier. Like if you guys wanted to try to get into Glacier and you didn't have tickets when you were there this summer, just like us, I spent two weeks out at our other house in July, you have to get inside the gates before 6 a.m. 
So that proximity for somebody to save that drive time to be able to get inside the gates is a huge deal because tickets are almost impossible to be able to get, um, you know, for tourists that aren't planning well in advance. They put them on sale in spring. Uh, so very challenged. Like I live in only, like I said, about two, three miles past that Clydesdale deal. And that's a good 50 minute drive for us to get to the West entrance. So we went in three times while we were there. We had to leave no later than 5 a.m. and really 4.45 to ensure that we could get into the park before it opened. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, we were there and uh, it was the wrong time of year. We couldn't even get in, uh, but uh, we didn't. We, that was not why we were there anyway. It was too much snow, I guess. Uh, we were there to ski and it was fantastic. Loved every minute of it. Um, uh, Montana is a wonderful, a wonderful place. So that's cool. That that sounds like a, a pretty exciting thing to keep you busy for a minute. Um, well, you, I mean, you'll go there and stay in it for a little while and get it all set up or is it coming completely ready to rock or? So one of the things that I like to do is I try to get, if the furniture is good, I will typically keep it. Since they handmade everything, they had two queen-size beds with queen-size headboards that were beautiful. So we asked for a few things. We asked for their stuff that they milled um, and inside in the contract. And we asked if they would make us king-size headboards as opposed to queens, the queens that they had, and they agreed. So we got about half the furniture, but I also negotiated a uh, a credit for 12,500 bucks. Cause it's already plumbed for a hot tub with electrical and water. Uh, so we kind of called that the hot tub budget since I'm using a 1031 to cash in. I like to try to pull some of that cash out at close and have a hold back. So I can use that for furnishings and that type of stuff, because it obviously, as you know, it decreases my cash investment, increases immediate cash flow and cash on cash return. Um, so my wife is already has it designed. Essentially, she's just ra- waiting for the go ahead. Uh, make sure when we keep when we get the clear to close, she'll order. She'll probably be there for three to five days, do murals, do some custom painting, that type of stuff. And typically within about eight to 10 days post close, we're usually up and rolling uh, and can start renting. Now here, it's the the, the challenge will be permitting. So we cannot even apply for an STR permit until we take possession and ownership and everything's recorded with Flathead County. So that will probably take another 30 days, maybe 45. We most likely will not be able to rent uh, a kind of at any volume until spring, uh, which means we're forecasting for the carry cost to take us all the way through most likely till around the 1st of May. Okay, great. Uh, what's the exchange? Uh, what 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 prompted that? Uh, you just had enough equity. You needed to move it on, or? Uh, so I mean, I I am a guy that's tried. I look at my time valuation and I set goals financially. So I'm not the guy that wants fifty, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred units. I'm the guy that wants the least amount of units generating the highest amount of cash flow. So I had a property on Beach Mountain uh, that was my lowest performing property. It was doing about 19, 18, 19% cash on uh, cash return in 2021. I'd owned it for about 14, 15 months. Uh, equity had built and I decided to sell and re-leverage those 1031 funds. The ironic part is, is I was under contract with a property in Kentucky when I decided to sell after I was under contract. So no contingency there. Um, and then I was just going to apply those funds because I had a 30-day close on Beach Mountain. I had a 45-day close um, in Kentucky. Well, the Kentucky deal fell apart. And so then I had to redeploy. So I was looking with January down in your guys' area where oh, you yeah. and Avery live. 
Yeah. Um, and as recently as to within the last couple of days, actually, but both I and I identified two properties in that area. They fucking both went under contract within five days of me coming back around to them. So now it's like Montana or bus. I have no other option to exhaust the the 1031. So kind of back to why I'm always trying to level up my properties. If I can, I generate $158,000 in cash on this property. If I can 1031 that and move that into another property that'll generate more cash, that 150 was sitting in equity in this property, but I was only netting about $31,000 a year on that property. On this property, if I can hit 160, then I should be able to double uh, you know, my my cash, my net income by leveling up to this property where I'd be netting roughly between 60 to 65,000. So I'm always looking at net net income, not gross revenue, two, two real metrics for me, cash flow and cash on cash return. Those are the two big things. So I've always leveled up like the hot year, you know, latter part of 2020, um, all the way through 2021 in Gulf Shores, I flipped nine properties, made almost $3 million kind of what I would call retail flips, buying, holding, buy, renovate, really mostly redesign, rehab, not big moving walls and stuff. We'll do some flooring, appliances, paint, furniture, murals, that type of stuff. And then reselling right in the height of summer. So I'm making 70, 80,000 bucks. You know, I'm getting appreciation. If you you remember those days, I mean, we're seeing at the beach, sometimes three to 5% a week, you know, back then in appreciation, just waiting for houses to sell for more comps uh, to come in. And uh, so I try to, I want to be at 10 properties, Luke. I'm at currently at 11. I'll be adding another one to go back up to 12. Um, and last year I netted $997,000 off of my properties. I owned 13 to 14 for most of last year. My goal was 800,000 in net cash flow. Um, now it's like, I just wanted to make an extra three grand to get into seven figures, to be honest with you. So I'm, I just want to continue to optimize and level up. And then eventually this next year, I'll probably take my lowest performing property. If I don't have a 1031 on it, then I'll just sell it and take the cash proceeds and kind of equalize it. So I also, uh, co-host 12 to 13 properties as well. And that's really about as much as I want to do. I mean, with the automation and technology I have set up. It takes me about, it used to be five to seven hours. It's probably 10, 15, maybe even 20 hours, depending on the week. I don't want to work more than 20 hours, to be honest with you. So for me, it's setting those long-term financial goals, the time allocation goals and achieving it. You you and I see this all the time. It's like, oh, hey, I'm buying my first property. I want to scale to five in two years. Well, why? What the fuck do you want to get out of this, right? It's family, time, hobbies, money. Let's clearly define those objectives and then build the portfolio accordingly. Well, not only why, but it's it's also like, you know, when you, when you hear that from folks and I hate to pick on people, but it's almost like, okay, well, uh, if you want five properties in a year, all it takes is loans and down payments. I mean, it's really, you know, it's all it takes. So if you've got some cash, let's go do this thing, you know, and Oh, wait a minute. No, I, you know, I need a partner and this and that. Okay. That's fine. I mean, you know, I mean, we, you and I were talking before this call hell back when I first started, I was driving Uber at night while Avery was in college trying to throw a couple of extra bucks on the fire, uh, and do whatever it takes, you know? And, 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 uh, uh, well, I want to try, listen, before we people forget news, about that stuff, Luke, yeah, they, they, they see, they just think that, you know, it, we were just born wealthy and, you know, we j- could just throw hundreds of thousands of dollars at, at whatever. I mean, I was in the same boat when I started. 
And I bought my, you know, we were talking about professional golf and I bought my first duplex in 1993 after I dropped out of UCLA, played my first year of professional golf. I netted 180,000 bucks my first year net. And I spent 140 to buy the piece of shit duplex in Bakersfield, California. And I would have never done that. I would have been the guy in Vegas, like drinking, partying, gambling back then when I was like 21 and my CPA said, let's invest into some real estate. Thank God for Jeff Stewart. Well, uh, Jeff Stewart. Hey, buddy, where are you at? So uh, what happened to that duplex? Uh, I, I had it for like 11, 12 years and oh, then wow. sold it. And so yeah, I paid like three something for it. It was worth like 900. And I'm just like, this is kind of a cool deal. Let's keep investing in, in the real estate. Yes, totally. Yeah, but we see too many noobs that get all caught up and they want that to happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. You got to be, you got to calm down, take it easy. Um, let's go back to the... Uh, to the management side of things. Um, uh, so how, uh, how are you handling all that? Uh, how, you know, how, how, how hands-on are you? How many employees do you have that, that, that do see that, you know, day to day? Employees? Yeah. Not, not many right there. there zero. zero. Uh, no so assistance of any kind. I have virtual assistants in my build short-term rental wealth business. I do not have any virtual assistants or anything like that in my owned properties and in uh, my co-hosting business. No it's kidding. me and my wife. No my wife kidding. does the back end. She does the books, QuickBooks, all that type of stuff. She helps me a little bit if I'm, you know, doing this and a message comes in on Airbnb and that type of stuff. But um, I do the pricing optimization, the marketing, listing, guest communication. It's pretty simple. I mean, most of it's automated you know, at this point, I mean, I use owner res with hospitable on top of it for messaging. Um, I send an average of it's like 15 to 17 messages to my guest. 15 messages, I think that are automated that start, uh, you know, from the welcome message. And I have this series that goes out starting about three to four weeks in advance prior to check in all the way through checkout. And then I just manually communicate with them. Um, you know, if something arises, I think if you can prepare your guest. If you have great communication, digital guidebooks, that type of stuff, um, and you do a good job putting everything together on the front end, you can mitigate a lot of the uh, the communication needs, uh, you know, from your guest. And like I told you, I was in Banner Elk yesterday. I have a, a, my biggest property actually is there, and I just couldn't take it with our cleaning crew and, uh, anymore. I mean, it was just so frustrating. They they just they started great, and then they just went down this path and descended and. Mm -hmm. Not only did I get some negative reviews because of bad cleaning, but it was just the pain, the time it took for me. So I'm every every decision I make is about time. I'm 50. I'm going to retire in four and a half years when my youngest daughter's out of high school. And for me, retirement means that I just get to travel more with my wife, right? As opposed to being locked down doing the school soccer activities and that type of stuff. So kind of optimizing time and how our mine and my wife's life evolves every single day is the most important part. So we have to distill our decisions down financially, professionally to doing that. Hence why I don't want to have a massive portfolio. Um, I think it's fairly easy to manage roughly about 20 to 25 properties if you have those systems in place. So you're doing about 24, 12 of your own and 12 uh, other folks. Yeah, 11 right now on my own. I've got 12 co-hosted properties currently. Um, and then I'll be adding one more that I own. And once I add that, then I'll probably... I'll probably be looking to sell one more and buy one more to replace it. Cause I also have to keep buying cause I need the cost seg benefit. I make too much money, you know, not to take advantage of, of cost segregations and that tax benefit. 
Um, and that's one of the things going back to that condo um, that I love is, you know, I'm looking at, you know, 90%, the land value is only 3%. So the cost seg benefit is huge on that condo in Montana. So the tax, the only reason I keep buying is for tax purposes. Yeah. That's it. So I kind of just can continue uh, to replenish. But after I cost seg a property, I got to be very careful. So I only have about 30% of my properties tied up with a cost seg or a 1031. Um, because I don't want to get a hundred percent, then I can never touch my money. Right. If I ever had the, if I had a catastrophic event, COVID, you know, whatever happens, I need to have cash readily available in the real estate to sell if needed. Hopefully I don't ever have to do that. But I think a lot of people just use a 1031 to kick the can down the road and they don't really understand, you know, you do that two or three times and you build up a two or $300,000 tax burden. It's going to eat your cash. If you're 40 or 50 and you have to sell that property, you're not going to be able to access that capital, you know, and then the recapture rate on a cost segregation within five years uh, is pretty steep. So I think those things have to be considered. So I kind of segment roughly 30% of my portfolio has a 1031 and a cost seg associated about 65 to 70% is completely unencumbered. The co-host properties, uh, how did you decide to, I mean, what made you decide to do that, first of all? And then uh, how did you choose who to do it with? And then how to, when to turn it off, when to stop taking more? Yeah, it's it's actually kind of a funny story. I met a, a guy was in my my Build Short Term Rental Wealth Facebook group. He lives about 15 minutes from me. He's like, hey, I've got this Italian villa down here in Franklin. I'm thinking about selling it. I've been doing short-term rentals. Would you come down and take a look at it? Never met the guy. We, we I jumped on a call with him. He was really nice. I looked him up on Facebook. It kind of stalked him a little bit. And I said, cool. I said, on one, I'll come down and do this for free on one condition. I can bring my video guy, Chris, my COO, and we can record everything. And we did. And I looked at what he was doing. Long story short, I went through his property. He had 11 acres in, in Franklin. Um, and I said, you should sell this. It, it was worth like $1.2 at the point at the time. You're only doing $90,000 a year in revenue. Sell this. Let's clear your cash. Take the one-time tax exemption. He had lived in it for two years. Mm -hmm. He'd owned it for like 15 or 16. He owed nothing on it. And uh, I'll help you find a property down in Gulf Shores. And you'll make a lot more fucking money. Long story short, I found a property two doors down from my number one performing property that I built. And he got he stole it at five bedroom, four bath on West Beach Boulevard, unencumbered views, tier two for 875 grand. And he's all, will you host it for me? I said, sure. Well, then the guy that bought that house was still shooting Cobra Kai. Uh, he's uh, Marty um, Rowe, Marty Cove, uh, the Cobra Kai sensei from Karate Kid and Cobra Kai the series. He was shooting in Atlanta. He's like, hey, Bill told me that you manage this. Can you manage this for me? I said, I can't technically manage in Tennessee, but I'll co-host it for you. And I'll just do communication and marketing. And that's how I got into it. I did it for those two guys. And it was so successful. Then they both gave me referrals. And I kind of just grew my business out of referrals. So when I started, I just took on those properties, not knowing really what they would do. And then I got into the place to where I was getting way too many referrals. And then it was a hundred thousand dollars minimum. Then it went to one fifty. Now I'm at two hundred because I charge twenty percent and a three hundred dollar a month a retainer. I mean, if I can't do thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year, then it's not worth my time to take on the property. Once again, trying to optimize cash and time, you know, based on the volume I have available inside of that portfolio. 
So they're all big ones. The, the 12 you're co- co-hosting are all, those are large, very huge producers. Um, there's one, the only one that's not is a cottage in East beach and Gulf shores that I purchased, um, in early 2020. And I sold it to one of those referrals and I'm co-hosting for him. It says about 85 grand a year, but I've done it, uh, you know, for him since I sold it to him, right. When I started that kind of all tsunamied with those three properties at one time, I would not take it on today, but I'm also not going to, you know, he doesn't want to do it. So I'll continue to, to do it for him, but everything else is uh, pretty much over 150 grand gross. So what I like to do is if a property is doing, you know, 150, 170, and it's underperforming managed by a property management company, like I took on a six, five beachfront property in, in Gulf Shores last December, my wife came in, she's an interior designer. Um, I said, I need 100 grand, you know, to fix up your property. He's all I can give you 50 now, and then 50 next year, done. And we did 50,000 uh, over Christmas, we started on January 1st, he did 180 with a 6.5 beachfront in West Beach. That's ridiculous. And I think we're on pace, you know, do like about 270, 280 uh, this year. If we can really ramp up through the fall, I still have, you know, Christmas and New Year's open. I've actually blocked it off and uh, now just released it and jacked up the rates like 2,500 a night. We might be able to push 300. Um, so those are the properties that I like because then it's just a win-win for both me as a co-host and also the uh, the owner. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, listen, 24 properties in however many markets. I got to imagine it's a lot of markets. Seven markets. Okay. Well, seven's not that terrible for 24. Um, but you're you're busy. That'll keep you busy. You're managing all the personalities and, uh, you know, HVAC guys and electricians and uh, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and rehabs. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It is. I mean, the majority of that. So I've got nine down in Gulf Shores, right? So that's a lot combined. I own two and I manage seven in Gulf Shores. I mean, I've got all everything down there. It makes it a little bit easier. Um, and even my my contractors from Gulf Shores have traveled up to North Carolina for me um, and that type of stuff. So I think that, you know, everybody worries about the boots on the ground and the systems. I think if you're in any decent market, you know, kind of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, if they're in and yours and Avery short-term shop group, if they're in my build short-term rental group, you know, you're one post away from getting, mm. you know, some recommendations. I just don't think it's as challenging as it was before all of this stuff happened, you know, in 15, 16, 17, it was way harder, you know, for us to try to find those services. Today, it's, you know, you got Turno, you got all these online groups and marketplaces. It's just, I think that's a, a mindset deal for most people that if you're going to get into this business, you know, most people are investing within 25 miles of, of their primary residence where they live. Open up the country and make it your o- oyster and find the best deals and make a financial decision. You can find cleaners, HVAC plumbers. It's really not that challenging. Oh, 100% all across the board. You know, in 2015, it was hard. I mean, people were co- knocking on our door just because we had people, a list of people, you know, and now right. it's, it's everywhere. This episode of The Short Term Show is brought to you by The Short Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by EXP. See y'all over there. It's just like the hosts and the the buyers. They're coming out. They came out of the woodwork for about two years, three years, and 
they're not the only ones that got in on the action. The vendors got in on the action too. You got you got guys, contractors moving in from wherever to come to these vacation towns to get in on it. Because here's the deal, and I'm sure you'll agree. If you live in a vacation town, which I do, I live in one of these little you know vacation towns where nobody lives, and it's all everybody here is from a different t- state, uh, and they leave in a week. Uh, if you live in one of these towns and you answer your phone you will be busy guaranteed because nobody wants to answer their phone, man. They're, they're on vacation time. They're like half retired. It's a whole different world in these little towns. So now we've got all these people that came in because there was a bit of a gold rush there, you know, for not only for the cash flow and the, and the equity and the, you know, people that park money or whatever the case may be, or somewhere they wanted to go on vacation. Uh, but there was a gold rush as far as uh, maintenance and and and, uh, and rehabs and everything else too. So they, it has gotten a lot easier, which is a great thing for us. Um, it has gotten uh, easy is not the right word, but uh, it's definitely not what it used to be. But let's stay. Could agree topic. with you more. Yeah, let's stay on that topic of uh, uh, noobs. Um, so I, you know, we see too many noobs uh, in the last two years, right? Like where it just was almost like a cash grab, like they just came out of nowhere, you know, and. Uh, and we're glad they did. You know, I mean, we're happy that they did. But now we're really starting to see a separation of the men and the girls and the boys and the ladies. Right. And because there's so many people that just. And it's not just short term, uh, but you and I are we're just so immersed in this world. But people get into real estate and they don't really grasp the concept of what it takes to be a good landlord, because that's what we're doing here. Right. For lack of a better way to put it, if if I were to describe what I do to a. Uh, a stranger on the street that was, you know, let's say maybe an older gentleman or something like that. I would say I'm a landlord because he's going to understand that, you know, uh, and if it's somebody a little more sophisticated, I would probably say I'm a property manager. Um, but, uh, you know, we got so many people that got involved where they just kind of set it and forget it. And you can't do that. And I think that that's where there's like a little bit of a negative context on the space right now. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's the space's fault. So I guess it's a two-part question here. What are your thoughts on all those people that got in? Are they going to start disappearing? Uh, we are seeing more <clears throat> listings. Is that good for us? And then also, um, do you have any words of wisdom to uh, avoid that happening to, to, to somebody? How do, I, how do I become the better landlord and not fall into that trap? Yeah, I think number one, I'm going to take question number two first. I think it's, you know, learning how to underwrite your investment. There's so much education out here from what, you know, just this podcast to my pod. I have two podcasts, Avery's podcasting. Avery and I are doing a boot camp. I mean, Avery's written a book. You have everybody doing masterminds, all this stuff. You need to immerse yourself in number one, learn how to underwrite it. How do you select a market? How do you, you know, select a property? Like, basics are people don't understand you don't just buy a market you don't just because everybody's in Gatlinburg everybody's in Destin or Gulf Shores you don't just go there and pick a property your standard three two without all the other important components and buy it those are the people that are getting screwed the ones that didn't go look at the property the ones that Mm. you know just relied on the agent or listing photos or whatever that is you have to underwrite these things for most of us it's the biggest investment we will ever make yep Luke I built a 50 and two $30 million companies before I got into this. I had never, ever put more than $120,000 into a company. The first short-term rental I bought on my own with my wife, a beach house, I put in 127 grand. 
So you have to underwrite this stuff and run performance and know what your expenses are going to be. And most importantly, from my perspective, if you want to do what I do, and that's build super properties, you have to know the marketability. I, even though I ego aside, I'm the best freaking marketer in this, in our short-term rental industry, I can't just say, Hey, Luke, Avery, get me a, a little $450,000, $550,000, you know, three bedroom, two bath cabin anywhere in the Smoky Mountains and make it crush. If it's like surrounded with trees, steep driveway, no property, and it's 30 minutes from everything, I have nothing to market except for the cabin, right? Location, proximity, views, traffic generators. It's one of the reasons I'm huge on places like Hot Springs, Arkansas, because nobody's investing there. Luke, it's the Redneck Riviera for the Midwest, and they have a lake. They have a national park one mile from downtown. They have a casino, and they have a legit six-month horse track that is all driving traffic, and it's underpriced right now. Find those types of markets. That's why I invest in Tier 2. I did not invest in, in the Smokies because... I didn't want to have to spend a hundred G's post close, you know, for the 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 Sega, you know, sit four person fifty thousand dollar video games and the seventy five thousand dollar mod pool on the roof, or and I mean, all that shit is standardized to compete. That's why I went to Banner Elk, North Carolina, and was like the second person to build out a three car garage into a game room. It's why when I sat at the pizza place in uh, Seaside in two thousand fifteen, and and one of my best friends, a guy in my way, I used to play professional golf with. He owns Frangista uh, Beach Rentals down there. And if you remember Frangista Beach Resort, he made about a billion dollars tearing that thing down at the Millennium and selling houses. And I said, dude, I, I called him Wee Wee. His name's William Wilson. I said, Wee Wee, Bree wants to buy a, a beach house. We got $127,000 in cash. All she wants to do is hear the beach, see the beach, smell the beach. He's like, dude, you can't afford to buy anything here. That was in 15. So we went to Gulf Shores and made millions in Gulf Shores doing what everybody does in Seaside and Seagrove and Dune Allen and 30A, right? Golf carts, bicycles, high-end amenities, all that type of stuff. So take what you learn from these markets and place them someplace else that is underserved. That's part of the underwriting process. If you go back to the beginning of this podcast, that's why I love this ultra-luxury condo in Corum, Montana, because it is ultra luxury. That doesn't exist in the market. It has proximity. It's less than five miles to the entrance of a national park. It's got mountain views. It checks all of those boxes. If I can't check those boxes, I don't invest. And I think Luke, probably 90%, specifically a lot of the professionals that were, were buying property sight unseen, they either didn't know to check those boxes or they just thought, hey, I can just write a check and I'm gonna print cash. You know, I got in because I saw what would happen and I could do seven, eight so at the peak, nine or 10 times, uh, you know, cash flow on STR versus LTR, but I'm hands on, I'm doing the research, I'm working inside the, the business. And to kind of take that to your first question, I don't believe in Airbnb bust. Hmm. You know, we've seen that hashtag floating around. I think those same people that bought property sight unseen that just handed over to virtual assistance in you know Croatia or Mexico or the Philippines and really aren't optimizing, aren't treating this like a business that bought that average property five blocks from the beach that are, you know, you know, second tier at a lake that are not they're 30 minutes to Dollywood versus, you know, five minutes. 
They don't have views. They can't walk to Ober. All these things that what that's what people want when they're going to a vacation rental market. And it's even more important, in my opinion, if you're investing in urban areas like Atlanta, downtown Nashville, Chicago, we're not just talking vacation rental markets here. They made average purchases and they're that's the segment that has gotten saturated. Hmm. My segment, there's a bigger separation of church and state today, meaning the lower end average properties and the super properties, and it's getting wider. People are still willing to pay for those high end super luxury properties, but they don't want middle ground anymore, right? So the middle, the middle ground in our world is getting crushed. Sears, Kmart, Applebee's, Ruby Tuesdays, Gap. All th these places are going away. It's like literally quick service restaurants, Chipotle, Blaze Pizza, Panera, that super low end quick stuff, or it's high end steakhouses. You know, you look at home goods, discount stores, outlets on the bottom end, and then you look at restoration hardware on the high end. All those middle ground in America is getting squished right now. And we're, I think we're going to see that same thing. That's the segment of this industry that's getting affected by Airbnb uh, and bust. Yeah. I agree. Um, I got a couple of things there. So um, first of all, I, I got to defend my Smokies. So because and again, that's where I started. Um, I uh, we lived in and uh, outside of Nashville, and and we got our our well, we bought our first rental house in Nashville actually in Madison, and then uh, and then we went to the Smokies because it was right down the road, and it was just a natural evolution for us. And I I'm madly in love with it there. But you know, you do have a point. Um, and it's it's the low hanging fruit of uh, vacation markets, 100. percent It's the biggest vacation. It's Airbnb's biggest vacation market, biggest market worldwide. Um, right. And and so it is the low hanging fruit, you know. But I do believe in it, and I also think that you are you're you're you know you you have more competition there, but you're competing with a lot of idiots. There's just a lot of people that just are not good at this, and it's because they just don't take it seriously. Like you said, they're not thinking of themselves as landlords. They put it on the internet. And they put it on Price Labs and they may or may not even set a base rate on Price Labs. And then they, and they, here's what happens. Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing after, you know, a year or, or 12, 16 months, 18 months, people, they'll send me an email and I guarantee you're getting the same thing. And they say, my property's not making any money. Can you, can you take a look at it? I'm not getting any bookings. I'm not getting any bookings. And what's happened here, Bill, this is what I think. I think that their mortgage hit. And they didn't have enough to cover it. And then all of a sudden, there's like this panic. Oh, man, I need to go, go back and pay more attention. And it's too late at that point. That's the that's the hard part. It's too late. It'll take you six months to catch back up. You got to work on, like, especially right now. I'm seeing it a ton right now because August and September, as you know, in almost every market in America, they're freaking hard. Everybody's going back to school. Yes, the economy's a little weird right now. I personally attribute that to international travel. I don't think it's that any people don't have money. The passport office is backed up a million miles. People are going overseas. And I think in 2020, late 2024, 2025, our rents are going to be back up where they should be. And not only that, I mean, they're already pretty close. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But not only that, but I think the, the market is going to naturally shake out some of these people who did not realize what they were getting themselves into. You know, Bigger Pockets has a statistic 50%. And again, I heard this straight from uh, 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 David Green. I, I, you know, I don't know where he got it, but 50% of all investment properties are sold in the first 12 months. And I, you know, there were so many of these things sold in the last three years. I'm actually kind of surprised there's not more people getting out. You know, statistically, I think everything seems to be pretty damn healthy. Um, 
So I got to defend my Smokies there a little bit. I, I massive part of my uh, of my heart in, in that market. Uh, we're going there for Thanksgiving this year. Looking forward to. We used. I mean, we were there every day for a long time. But uh, and then and I, also, I and and don't don't take what I said wrong. I love the Smokies. Yeah. But you can't plop a standard three two cabin with no amenities and no proximity in that market and be successful. You, we, you, we're seeing it in, in, you know, I think you, what's the name of that Valley there? Where's Valley, right? You oh, guys yeah. have a property in where's Valley. Yeah. I've got a student. He's going to be here sitting front row with me and Avery. I'm not going to say his name on Saturday and Sunday. And he's one of the guys that's like you said, that's struggling because he waited too long. He made a little bit of money and you know, he's got to be successful now or he's older. It's going to really impact him and his, his family. And he's leaning on both Avery and I to try to help him, you know, get out of this rut because his property was very average. Mm. There's nothing wrong with it. My point is, is that you, I, I don't believe you can go in and invest average in that market and really succeed right now. I think those are the ones you're going to see gone by hey. bedroom count too. Right. So like, that's one of the things I like as I've leveled up to bigger properties it gives me a more insulation. If you just look at the numbers on AirDNA STR Insights by bedroom count and you see how it just is exasperating at two and three bedrooms and then it gets a little bit lower at four, a little bit lower at five, six, seven, you get up to eight bedrooms, there's a lot less competition at that, that price point. The other thing I think people really need to consider is who are they targeting? Who's their ideal buyer? I love going after wealthy people in every single business I've ever done. Because if somebody makes seven figures and they take a 10% hit or a 20% hit on their income, they'll feel it. But they go from it's one thing to go from making a million dollars to 800,000. If you're $150,000 a year household income, taking home, you know, $9,000, $10,000 post tax a month, and you lose a thousand bucks a month in income, that's felt like four to five times harder. That's harder to save for a, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 or $5,000 a week vacation. So that's a lot of that planning as you decide and you build out your portfolio and the locations you're going to invest in becomes critical. Yes. Agreed. Uh, now, another thing I agree with you on location. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. And I feel like there was a period of time there for about two years where people were just not even didn't even care where the damn thing was. They were just, just give me something in the Smokies. I just got to be there. Just buying blindly, you know, and, 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 and I, you know, I'm like, man, that's a little far out there. You know, I'm like, uh, I, I hate to tell you, but you might've bought one that was a little far out, you know? And, and so there is a little bit of that going on, but um, now the sight unseen thing, I'm going to give a speech on that. And you're going to hundred percent agree here. It can be done. It can be done, but you can't buy a house from a distance. If you don't know what the hell you're doing, you know, you got to, have a little bit of experience. I mean, at least two or three under your belt uh, and a good team that you uh, that you trust, a, a home inspector that you trust. I mean, most home inspectors don't communicate at all, you know? So to, to go into a home inspection with somebody who's probably not going to communicate with you, if you're a first-time buyer, you know, it, it's probably a little too much. So, you know, I, I do agree that if, if you can get to the house, you have to do that. I, I think more often than not, I, I try to walk my properties once a year. I want to smell it and touch it and feel it and hold it and know what my guests are going through. That's a big part of it. It really is. If you don't know what kind of product you're offering, how can you be upset when they give you four stars, three stars? Because when, when's the last time you were there? Let me, let me, add. oh, you're worried. You, you're upset about your three-star review. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were at this house? 
You know what I mean? Because those two things are freaking related. You can't tell what your your cleaner what to do if you haven't seen it. Get your ass on an airplane and go there. It's you know, first of all, it's fun. It's fun. And that's another thing, man. This asset class is the only appreciating asset that you can go on vacation to. I'm gonna let you steal that from Amen. I'm gonna let you steal that from me. And it's huge. That is a huge thing, man. That's why we got in this to begin with, you know. And so go use it. Go use it. We got caught up in for a while there. We got caught up in, I can't go there. It's going to cost me money. Screw that. If you go there and you, yes, it costs you a little bit of rental revenue, but it will make you more, way more rental revenue when you leave with the information that you gathered. And do I go to my properties and most often say, wow, I really didn't need to come here. It's perfect. Yeah. Most of the time I do say that, but if I don't go there and make sure that it's perfect, how am I going to know? You know? So you uh, don't know if you don't, you don't go visit. We, uh, my wife, every summer, we, when our kids get out of school, we go, we vacation every week during summer. This year, we went to six different properties and we did one trip internationally. You mentioned passports. We went to the Bahamas. Um, like when we were in Gulf Shores, we went to both of our properties uh, that we owned and even properties that we co host. I think you have to have your eye on the ball. Uh, or you're just managing reactively best on based on guest reviews, and it's too late at that point if things are going wrong. I agree with everything that you said. Thank you. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, let's talk numbers. Are you down? I know you're a numbers guy. Are you down at all from last year? Or uh, where where are you? You know, last uh, uh, calculation. I got annihilated in January and February. My portfolio was down thirty one percent in January and February, um, and that's after adding a Beach Mountain property. We got no fucking snow in North Carolina, so nobody came to go skiing. Unfortunately, um, my beach, my beach property, my number one property um, is in West Beach and Gulf Shores. I did three fifty seven my first year. For six bedroom, four bath, uh, tier two property in West Beach of Gulf Shores. Um, and that property was down like 18, 19 grand in those two months. Um, I was vastly concerned in January and February. Bookings weren't coming in as strong as, as they had, you know, in the previous years for uh, summertime. Um, but I just kind of ramped up my marketing, sent out more emails, did more social, you know, ramped up Facebook ads. I do a buy, sell, trade group strategy. Uh, ramped up my marketing and everything. I can tell you that uh, we just closed out in July. We're up three and three point seven percent. So we've had almost a forty percent delta shift from the end of February until today. And a lot of that happened because I took my biggest property and I've I've done traditional Saturday to Saturday, um, you know, stays. And I decided to test, and I did like four weeks um, at three night minimums. And I raised the price by 30% uh, for shorter stays. And I was able to get my average week up to around $19,000 a week, where last year I was doing about 15.6. So that Delta really helped me catch up like on that one property. So a lot of people, I don't think they understand pricing, uh, especially in these traditional markets that do a lot of Saturday to Saturday or four or five night minimums, that you can be more competitive with higher pricing if you do allow shorter stays but you really need to have an understanding of how high demand your properties are. So kind of going back to the earlier part of the podcast here, Luke, and that 1031, you asked me about the property I sold in Beach Mountain. Um, It was an A-frame. It was cool, but it was still dated on the outside. And I I had, it was, it was so going to be, I had no hot tub. How do you, how are you in the mountains with no hot tub? 
It was going to cost me twenty to twenty-three thousand dollars to put in a hot tub because of cranes, access through the neighbor's yard, reinforcing decks, all that type of stuff. So I decided to sell the property, take my cash and reinvest as opposed to making that investment into a property that did not stand out enough. That wasn't, it was 1.1 miles from the ski resort. It wasn't ski in, ski out. It wasn't walkable. It didn't have great views. It was, you know, probably a seven out of 10 views, just all these things. And it was an afterthought when I bought my Banner Elk property and had $135,000 left over in a 1031 that I had to spend, right? So it was okay. I made 41 grand, you know, selling it and my rental income over a 14 month period, but I didn't want to continue to invest into that asset. So that's kind of why I rolled out of that. Um, I think that up 3.7% right now, year to date, I'm happy with it. And ironically, the probably 80% of my portfolio is booked pretty equivalent to where we were last fall. So I think I'm going to have pretty much an even Steven year in 23 uh, versus 22. And I would be perfectly happy with that. I agree. I, I'm uh, I'm actually, uh, last I calculated, which was I think first of uh, July. So it's been, it's been a minute now. I was uh, down 3.4 for the year across all my properties, uh, short terms only, obviously. And um, I, I agree. My fall's looking really good. I, my August and September, I did prices this morning and recorded recording this in uh, mid mid August, uh, twenty three, and I did pricing this morning. And I gotta be honest, I, I not to sound like a dick, I kind of feel bad because when I look at my calendars, I'm like, dude, my calendars look good. I'm happy with them. They're they're really kind of cranking. And then, there's no reason to ever feel like a dick or be resentful because of your success. Thank you. Thank you. Because I do see all these people on the internet that are like struggling. And, 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 and again, it goes back to, I just feel like a lot of people are in over their heads here and I don't know, but I look at my calendars and I, I, if, if nothing else, if you're listening to this, take some comfort in the fact that my calendars are exactly where I want them to be in fall 23. I'm happy. Um, I do think I'll probably end up about even from 20, uh, two overall, maybe one or 2% down, which to me, that's a massive win. And again, I think, I think rates and gross incomes 2025 are like going to be gangbusters, right? Because you're getting all these people, these, these not that great operators are going to drop off a cliff and people are going out. And from now, or like really beginning of this summer, when our kids got out of school this summer until about March, Folks are spending a lot of money on vacations because there's so many places they could not go. And then when next March through 20, the entire year of 2025 rolls back around, they're going to say, dude, I'm not doing France again. I'm not doing Spain again. That was too much money. It's a lot of flights and a big pain in the butt. Why don't we just go get into dang Tahoe and go to Gulf Shores? It's so much cheaper and easier, you know? So I really think that uh, not only are we not really looking at it much of a dip, if between you and I, uh, we're, Exactly even. I'm down 3.4. You're up 3.7. It's we're dead even, right? So I think a lot of people fixate on the actual number. I look at, you know, is if I'm between even and up five percent or even and down five percent, pretty much roughly that's about breaking even, even Steven, right? So you just gotta think about that from a mental perspective. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, the drive-in, the primary drive-in vacation rental markets are the ones that you know, were the most successful in the last downturn that we had, not COVID, but if you look at the great recession in nine, 10 and 11, 
Um, you know, if you look at the drive-in vacation rental markets during COVID, second half of 2020, once most of the country started to open up all the way through the end of 2022, same exact thing. Sure, Miami's thriving. Sure, Hawaii's thriving. But the longevity, I mean, take a look at airline prices right now. I have the only place that I fly to that I own um, it really is Montana. And I'll, I, it's the airfare is insane. I'm, I was looking at booking spring break so we could go out there and go skiing you know, kind of an end of the year deal, 1200 to 1300 bucks for coach tickets what, to get what? from, for one ticket to get from Nashville to Kalispell airport. Um, I told my wife, I said, let's pull the kids out one day early for spring break and let them go back one day late and I'll drive. Hmm. And because, I mean, I've got a family of four, that's $5,000 in airfare, hmm. you know, just to, to be able to get there. So that's where the drive-in markets historically will perform because it bleeds down into middle America and it's accessible. You think about, I mean, why is Gatlinburg so great? There's some good stuff to do there, but there's a lot of other great places, mountain markets around the country. It's because of the 24 million people that can get there within five hours. It's because the first two beaches that people can get to from Chicago all the way to New York driving south is you know, to hit Destin and Gulf Shores, right? There's, you got to think about how people are going to buy things and they are buying from us. Those of you that are listening out there, they're buying, you know, a, a week stay or a three night stay at our property and a service, you know, that goes along with that. That's where just nailing that buyer persona to what your ADR is going to be, to what your design is going to be, to how much you put into a property or how little post-close can make or break the underwriting of the investment. Yeah, shout out to the guests. Uh, again, it doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, I do want to thank my guests and, uh, you know, they're not listening to this, but uh, you know, we can't do it without them. I really appreciate all these folks that work their ass off. You know, I come from a humble uh, start. My dad was a mailman and a vet and, and a Vietnam vet. And and and, and uh, I just think about all the families that work their ass off to come spend their money uh, on these vacations and it, that's really number one. All right. So I do, I do want to mention that. Uh, I feel like I don't talk about that enough. So thank you to all these hardworking Americans that uh, come spend their money uh, in our, in our little vacation towns. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. Now um, back to the pr pricing is everything. Okay. Back to management. Pricing is every, we can both agree with that. Now t there's, you know, four elements or so of your, your, your listing on Airbnb and Verbo that you need to tweak here and there. Pictures probably most important, but, um, for, for me, and I think you probably would agree, pricing is number one in this business and you got to focus on it. If you're, if you're suffering right now, it's because you're not pricing your property, right? Here's a, I have a perfect example. I talked to a, a, one of Avery's clients yesterday and she was, um, she's a very nice lady. I don't remember. Uh, I'm not going to give her name or anything, but, um, she was talking, oh, I can't get anything in September, which is very common this time of year. It's very common. So, uh, I'm not getting any September. And I said, uh, I said, let's do some math. So we sat down and did some math and she was priced. It was, I think it was a four bedroom. I, I think it was in the Smokies. And, um, I think she was around four fifteen a night or something like that. So I said, let's do some math here. So you're not booked at all. August, September, throwaway nights. They really are. Other than Labor Day, it's garbage. And, uh, and you're, you're priced, you know, pretty high on the market. So we sat down and did a whole bunch of math. And then finally she said, well, last September I did $6,200. And, uh, uh, you know, she was very happy about that. And I said, okay, let's sit down and do some math. 
So we did the math. I said, you know, what's your cleaning fee? We figured out, you know, four or five, uh, probably six cleans a month or something. We took that out of the gross of out of her 6,200. And we, we broke it down to the fact that what she needed to get to where she was happy with last September was about $216 a night. Meanwhile, she's priced it about $415 a night. So she's literally almost twice as much as what she would have been happy with last year in the biggest year ever. But I think people just, there's a mental block there with like average nightly rate versus what is it worth right now on these actual dates? So focus on pricing. I think that's uh, my point. I don't know if I had a point, but if I had a point, that was it. And, and, and you know, I think if I could add on to a couple of points to that, know your lead time, your booking lead time. And like Luke's mentioned Price Labs. It sounds like you use Price Labs. I, I use do. Price Labs. You know, you're pricing way out like 90 days plus should be higher than your pricing at like in the last seven days. So I actually tier my pricing to come down outside of season. Like Luke's talking about August, September, October, that's shoulder season for most of us. Right? So now I have my far out pricing is typically about 40% higher than what I would charge if somebody books within the last seven days. And you need to think about that pricing strategy. It's not, it's not just set up price labs or wheelhouse or beyond or whatever, and forget it. You need to have some strategy on how you're setting up that pricing based on your booking lead time. hundred percent. I love it. We've said it all. We've done it all. Um, listen, I, I want to make this a regular occurrence. Let's, let's shoot for at least once a year. I mean, we can do once a year, can't we? Absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, maybe you have me on sometime. I, we should probably that. hook up at like a GNR Kiss Iron Maiden and do and do it there. That we need to. I'm going to. I'm going to. Oh, let's talk concerts. Uh, I don't have my schedule in front of me, but I do have a lot. I know you got at least one or two coming. I'm just doing GNR. I've heard all the shit that the Carl family is yeah. going to be doing. You Too guys many. are like going on this road trip. She's got me going. I got a two year old. She's taking to these concerts. Well, it'd be three, but. Uh, 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 we're going to power trip, which is the big one in, in California at Coachella. Um, uh, it's good. Iron Maiden and all, every, every huge band ever. Although Ozzy just dropped out and, uh, but, uh, now priest is going to be there instead. So that's cool. Uh, we're going to, we're going to GNR. So is same as you, but different show. We're going to Biloxi. We're going to kiss in Knoxville, uh, which is the day after Thanksgiving. We're going to have, we're going to have Thanksgiving in the mountains. Uh, and we're going to Aerosmith in Knoxville. I think that's it. I think. Right, which is too many, quite frankly. With these when guys. is Aerosmith in Knoxville? Yeah, you need yeah. to let me know. I need to look that up. I need to take my wife to that. That is because you're you're close. You're close. Um, so you should come. Uh, it's not for we got time. I think it's January. Did yeah. you say Kiss is the, the Friday after Thanksgiving? Kiss is the day after, or maybe uh, yeah, I think it's the day after Thanksgiving in Knoxville. They're coming to Nashville too, though. I don't know when. Maybe really, I've never seen Kiss, so I might. I'm gonna have to look that up. Now this will be the end of it for Kiss. This is it for real. Uh, well, they're like 80. Yeah, exactly. And we're huge, huge, huge fans, uh, mega, mega fans. And uh, we got front row. Uh, uh, I don't want to know what she paid for that, but uh, uh, I, I figure my son has a pretty good chance someday, way in the future. I don't even really want to think about it, but I, I, I feel like my son may have a chance to be the last living person on the earth to say he saw kiss live. <laughs> that's pretty cool to me. That man. could be very true. It's very, it's very possible. I hope he appreciates it, but who knows? Uh, but anyway, uh, what else? Anything on the way out? All good. Thanks for having me. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. Uh, any, uh, you reading a book recently that you can throw at us. I like, a, I like a good book recommendation. 
You know, I, I had Mike McCallowicz who wrote Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan as my keynote at my conference last year. And uh, I just reread The Pumpkin Plan mm-hmm. uh, for the second time. I hadn't read it for about three or four years. I don't know if I can. Oh, yeah, here it is. I can show you right here. Yes. Pumpkin Plan by uh, Mike McCallowicz. Absolutely yes, I- love this book. Um, and I'm a big guy about planning out our future. I believe we have the ability as every human being does to architect our outcome. We just need to be very intentional about it. And the pumpkin plan is a really simple strategy, uh, that can help us all be a little bit more successful. I have a story, actually. I'm a, we're both storytellers. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge McCallowitz fan, huge fan, read every one of his books. That was his first one that I read. And I remember vividly re listening to it while stripping a uh, popcorn ceiling at a flip I was doing years ago in Springfield, Tennessee, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I was thinking to myself, man, uh, I hope I don't have to do much more of this stripping crap. I would really rather move on to something a little better than this. But uh, right. yeah. Well, how about him and Avery riffing on the guitar backstage yes. after he got off stage? That was pretty cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yes. Huge fan. Uh, I think they were playing some ACDC or something. I don't remember exactly. Maybe Hell's Bells or something like that. Yeah, very cool, man. Yeah, Avery can stretch. He's a rocker for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, great to see you. Uh, thanks for coming. And uh, uh, on behalf of Bill Faith for short-term rental management, don't overthink it.